Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. This is the second part of our conversation with our friend Celestin. So if you're just tuning into the show for the first time, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first part of our discussion where he talks about his life, his background, and his experiences in Rwanda during the genocide. Uh, but this interview is great. The second part is full of a lot of really interesting stuff, and there's a lot to talk about. Mickey, what are some of the things that stood out to you in this part of the conversation? One of the things that I found so fascinating about this portion of the conversation has to do with the distinction that we can see between Eastern and Western culture and theology and how that shaped Celestine's approach to theology. Yeah, and, and that's something that we talk about all the time is that people coming from different cultures are gonna see different facets of the gospel more clearly. And that shows up in this interview. Uh, you'll also hear me being a total theology geek when he mentions Miroslav Volf who's a famous theologian from Yale. And so if you want to hear me be a nerd, you can hear that in this episode. Uh, but there's so much here to cover. And so we're going to just jump right into it. This is the second part of our conversation with Celestin. I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your time at DTS. Yes. Uh, especially coming from Rwanda to a, a Western seminary. Yeah. You, you mentioned that the, the, the way forgiveness was explained to you by mm -hmm. Western missionaries yes, yeah. didn't do justice to everything that the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking back to my, my class uh, in seminary a couple months ago. There was somebody there who was from Egypt, mm. and he was talking about how he learned how to preach at our seminary in Orlando. Yeah. And he said, the content of what you want us to preach is good, but yeah. the way you want us to preach will never reach anyone in my culture. Yeah. And so this is something that we talk about all the time is that mm -hmm. different cultures, as the gospel goes forward, yeah. I think... God means for the church across cultures to talk to each other because mm -hmm. there's different theological insights mm -hmm. um, that different Christians around the world bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, I guess for me, I'm curious, what was it like to learn theology from people who didn't have the experiences you did in Rwanda? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a very, very genuine question. One of the beauties of uh, studying theology in a seminary like that, a theological seminary, they teach you the biblical principles, the word of God. And it is up to you as a student now to say, how does this apply in my context? And so the, um, before I came to that seminary, I looked around, but uh, I found that that theological seminary is one of the best theological uh, seminaries in the US that it teaches the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to understand the Bible, and their biblical evangelical theology. And so as uh, somebody who had grown up, as I mentioned, I was not a, a, a child. I, was, um, I had been involved in the pastoral ministries. I had a master of divinity. I had done theology. And so uh, I was not like the child where you just open the mouth and, and, and you pour things. No, I came as an adult who is looking for answers to the solutions that to, I mean, uh, finding a uh, solution to the problem that I was facing in Rwanda. So what I learned at seminary, there are things that uh, I discussed with the seminary, by the way. Uh, when I got there, I, most of this, the professors uh, did not even know what had happened in Rwanda. Wow. 
So the first thing I did, I sat with the theological department. I sat with my professors. I said, this is why I'm here. This is what happened in Rwanda. And I'm going to be negotiating with you. What kind of paper do I write? I'm not going to also be a professional student because I cannot stay here more than uh, uh, three months. You know, you know, I began to discuss with them and thank God they were very open. And so this is the first thing that I said. I am like a man uh, who is coming to the fountain to draw water and I can't wait for the semester to end before I take water back home. I told them about 70% of the pastors in Rwanda had been murdered. I'm training new pastors. I can't wait to be here for a, as a pro. So most of them will allow me to go and to not just cut my grade when I miss three days or no, they will say, okay, make sure before the semester, the new semester began, you have finished your homework. And secondly, I began to challenge some of the concepts. Hmm. And because again, I remember I had been a pastor, I was a, a theologian in my own right. And so we, I began to work with the seminary and I began to ask questions. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we began to look more onto these issues. And so I, in fact, I was asked to be adjunct professor in the theology department and developed a course on group pride and collective evil. Wow. And so the seminary was open to look into the new thing that they didn't understand. And also when I was going to write my dissertation, the seminary said, you know, the things that you are working on, we cannot, we don't have ex 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 experts. And so they had to find somebody uh, to be a third reader, um, uh, Wolf, Miroslav Wolf, I don't know if you know. Oh, I know Miroslav. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he's yeah. from, uh, you know, he's uh, from Croatia. He right. worked with uh, the seminary during the killings. Mm -hmm. So he became my third reader. I did not know Miroslav Wolf was your reader. Yes, uh, yeah. And That's so incredible. I spent yeah. time at Yale at Divinity School discussing with him, helping him to work on, because he had uh, a concept of community. Uh, you know, maybe have read his books on exclusion and embrace. Right. And so the seminary was able to understand this. So the that seminary was able to, to uh, you know, negotiate with me to say, okay, you know what you want, we will help you. So they gave him the biblical principles and then the application of those biblical principles were, was my, my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so that the beauty when you are mature enough, when you know what you want, when you know the context, you can just swallow everything because they are teaching from their context. They have never been in your context. And that's why I began to challenge you know, the concept of uh, individualistic and then a tribe and race. And then I began to work on group pride and, and the collective evil, which was a new concept for some, most of them, my colleagues from the America or the Europe. Mm. And so, uh, as you said, you know, this context, when you bring people from different contexts in a classroom like a Bible college or seminary, it enriches all of us we begin to see something that we have missed in our theology uh, or in our practices and then begin to learn from others. That's the beauty when the church, when the believers come together from different contexts, different, then we enrich each other. I think that's so huge because you can look at a systematic theology book written outside of the West mm -hmm. and they're going to deal with the same issues but in different ways. I know that was kind of your mm -hmm. experience and. Mm -hmm. Bible College in Argentina as well, right? Yeah, so I I attended Bible College um, in Argentina, mm. and I did a semester there. And in my systematic theology class, um, the the way that it was set up was a little different than what I'd seen it here in Western culture. Mm. And so, 
being uh, in in a country where witchcraft is so prevalent, yes. the angels and demons, yes. uh, exactly. all the all of those uh, the parts of systematic theology are important, yeah. but in particular the angels and demons. Were, there was a whole class dedicated to just that, yes. and it was because it was so prevalent in that culture. Yes. And so it's interesting to see how. Um, those settings and those circumstances shape our approach on theology. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Actually, uh, one of the subjects that I taught at Dallas Seminary and at the Criswell College, Criswell College is another Baptist seminary in, in Dallas, mm -hmm. it was uh, uh, angelology and demonology. Mm -hmm. And I was able to talk about my personal experience when I was a pastor. I had to deal with the demons. I had to chase demons. I had to... Um, exercise and the people say no no so I say you know you guys demons are here but they are sophisticated yep. mm -hmm. you call them a medical thing you go to the psychiatrist yeah. because again culture sometimes has influenced the Bible we have allowed the culture to take presence over the Bible we have forgotten that the Bible talks about demons and, mm -hmm. and evil spirit and the Bible says we are wrestling with powers but mm -hmm. it's like America no we cannot have demons so tell me where have you put the demons in America mm -hmm. you know and so there's, yeah, this culture sometimes make us blind to the truth of the scriptures. And so, so I'm glad you were able to experience a real life. Yeah, absolutely. And where you wrestle with uh, uh, real theology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And spiritual yeah. warfare is so real. Yes, And it's yeah. so important to be equipped in the face of those yes, circumstances. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate, and this is why I'm so glad we're having you on the show, is um, I've been so fortunate to know Christians across cultures across the world mm. and they're they're dealing with issues that we're not currently dealing with mm. uh, or we're dealing with issues that they haven't yet dealt yeah. with and so i think the wisdom of god in making the church a global international phenomenon mm. um, and putting us in this time where we can talk across mm. yeah. uh, across cultures is is that we can learn from one another mm. so let me just ask you maybe what are some things that you think African pastors understand mm. that American pastors and American Christians need to learn? Mm. Yes, yeah, it's hard to generalize, but there are some, uh, really I would say a few, um, few things that uh, probably the African pastors can teach the American pastors. First, they have no salaries. So, <laughs> so, so most of them live by faith, mm. and and so here most of pastors, uh, they before you hire them, you discuss their salaries, their insurance, and their, uh, you know, they, you know, their retirement and so forth. Um, no pastors, they are called and they, they go and uh, they preach. Um, if they have money, they have money. They may not have food. They may not be sure that they will send their kids to school. And so that's that's one. And so there's uh, really there's not that structure that makes a pastor to be another professional. And so maybe the African pastors can teach the American pastors what it means to be, um, you know, to be um, a volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To work without uh, expecting salaries at the end of the month. Mm. And uh, the the second is the pastors in Africa. Uh, they deal with uh, because they don't have the structure that. Pastors here have, you know, pastors here have, you have pastors for almost everything, including maybe pastor for the cats and the dogs. And, <laughs> and, but in Africa, pastor, the pastor is the grave digger, 
the pastor is the preacher, the pastor is the one who is going to um, officiate wedding. The, so the pastor does everything. Mm. So the expectations and the endurance for the pastors in Africa, most of the, I know, is so deep that, uh, of course, it's a good thing, a bad thing, but because of lack of trained pastors and, and because pa pastor means not like a profession like it is becoming now, you find pastors who are 24-7 uh, and they do almost everything. Wow. Mm -hmm. There is uh, maybe the theology of suffering. Mm. And um, um, I, I work with pastors in uh, Sudan, in, and South Sudan, or in the Congo, whose, whose, wives, uh, whose wives were raped. Mm. And these pastors are still pastoring to the village, even the people who raped their wives. Mm. Pastors in uh, Northern uh, Sudan, who um, uh, three years ago, um, I was in one of the uh, rural areas, and training pastors, because we don't have enough funding to support every pastor who comes, we get one pastor from, from each church. Mm. You know, they were saying, is it possible for you to train at least two of us from one church? Uh, say why? Because we know one of us, if we begin to preach the truth, one of us will be killed. So if you train one and is killed, there's nothing remaining. Mm. And they say, just teach us. Teach us the truth. We, we have been teaching wrong things. We are suffering, we are being persecuted for nothing. We want to run the truth. Teach us, we can take the beatings but teach us how to teach well. So, so the, the, the suffering, the, the many pastors in Africa are going through suffering either because of the persecution or because of the context they are in. Mm -hmm. And so why the theory of suffering that the African pastors can teach uh, the American pastors, the theory of suffering, and then how to deal with um, uh, the issues of social justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, we have pastors today, uh, today is Sunday, I know there are pastors who tomorrow morning they are going to the court to represent the widows whose land was taken by another rich man. And those pastors are not lawyers. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they are going to stand maybe to approach a corrupt government official who took the land of the church. Mm. They don't have lawyers. So these pastors, sometimes they are the lawyers. Mm. Sometimes they are the security. They are defending people uh, without even knowing what, how to do it. And so there are some social justice issues that pastors in Africa can, if pastors have challenges here, the government will take care of it. You know, mm. government, you know, if you have no lawyer, government will provide a, a, a lawyer for you. Good luck in Africa. If you don't have a lawyer, I hope you have a pastor. Mm. You know, right. you know. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so really there are some issues, uh, challenges that the pastors in Africa uh, can teach the American um, pastors. And, and that's why we encourage the pastors from America to come, spend a week training the pastors because they are being trained by the pastors. They, 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 they exchange, the pastors come back and say, hey, how will I handle this in my congregation? What, how have I failed actually to respond to the widows in my church? Uh, what am I doing with the lawyers in my church? Are they handling the cases of the, the oppressed in my church? Mm. And so, so that, that, that's, that's really some of the things that we can learn from one another. So I have had the 
the opportunity to go and to teach and train pastors through Alarm. Mm-hmm. And, and I can just attest to the fact that those, those men and women are brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. The, the African pastors I got to work with in Uganda mm-hmm. are, are phenomenal. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Alarm, mm. this ministry you started. Yeah. Uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and let our listeners know a little bit about what Alarm does. Alarm started uh, really to equip the pastors because majority of the pastors in Rwanda being a French uh, colonial, or Belgian colony, Catholicism is more prevalent. And therefore, there's no really change, there's no transformation. And so the pastors who have been pastoring people, majority of them had not had a theological education, they didn't go to Bible school, and therefore they were not even discipled. Some of them didn't even have full Bible, and therefore we began to focus on training those pastors who are already in the ministry, giving them the basics of Bible, the basics of theology, the basics of ministry, and the basics of discipleship, so that they really disciple the people, so that they move them from tribal Christianity to biblical Christianity. So that the identity in Christ supersedes the Hutu tribe, the two tribes. So that Hutu and Tutsi, when they are in Christ, they realize that they belong to the new family of Christ. They belong to the tribe of Christ, so to say. Uh, secondly, because the church for many years have failed to reconcile, to realize that, the, as I mentioned, the forgiveness of God, the reconciliation with God has a social implication for a Christian. And so we began to help the church to understand that the Bible speaks that God has given us, has entrusted us, the, the church, Christians, with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. It's not just uh, horizontal, it's not a vertical reconciliation uh, or vertical forgiveness, it's also horizontal. And therefore, when you just say you are the peacemakers, it's not just peace with God, it's peace with the neighbor. Mm. And so then how can we Christians embody the message of forgiveness and reconciliation in a tribally or racially divided community. Mm-hmm. And so alarm, that's why we say we are African leadership and reconciliation. On one hand, we want to train Christian leaders to be servant leaders, to lead well like Christ. That's why we are not just training pastors, we are training lawyers and judges and, and, and mayors and uh, members of parliament, the senators and uh, law enforcement uh, who are Christians Whenever God has put them, how do I lead like Christ? How do I serve the people under me? How do I treat those who are under me like Christ? And then we say, then how does our reconciliation with Christ, how does our forgiveness impact how we forgive our neighbors? How do we become peacemakers? And so really alarm train these leaders in a servant leadership. So our mission, really our mission is to equip and train uh, Christian leaders both in the church and the community. Absolutely. Um, and so, speaking of the, the church's role, how have you seen Christ use the work of alarm to strengthen the church? Oh, thank you. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, I Please think, get started. Please, I yes. think uh, uh, this church, uh, um, the Bay Life Church here in uh, Tampa, Florida, on, on uh, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon. Eh? Let's round up to Tampa. Yeah, to Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have been already involved and... Uh, uh, I know, Travis, you have been Masindi to see those pastors. Um, since you saw them, you know, they graduated. And uh, even last week, I was reading reports from uh, Uganda. Those pastors are planting more churches. They are discipling churches. In fact, 
some of those uh, police and military at the Masindi place, uh, they, they are wanting more training because they want to be transformed. They want to know how to be police. So we have uh, seen churches begin to really the, the disciple the people who now uh, some of their leaders, I mean, some of the members of their congregation, they are no longer, uh, you know, taking bribery. And so we have churches because they have been discipling the police officers, the, the mayors, and the, the lawyers. We have actual lawyers now who are taking the cases of the widows. Mm. We have uh, judges who are refusing um, bribes. And so we have uh, discipled um, lawyers in Congo who are taking children who have been unjustly put in prison, getting them out of prison. Mm. Pro bono, because they just know I'm not just a lawyer. I'm using the law that God has given him the opportunity to be educated to understand the law. I'm going to use the law to serve the oppressed and the, and the marginalized and the voiceless. And so in Rwanda, we are seeing because of the preaching, in Rwanda, we have uh, 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 perpetrators and their victims now begin to come together to be their community together because they have been able to forgive one another. That's why the church, uh, we are seeing the impact. We are seeing the, the impact what discipleship is. The people in South Sudan, they are refusing to kill each other, uh, being uh, pushed by the government, Dinka and Nuer, they are coming together and saying, no, we are Christians, we are not Dinka, we are not. And that's what we had hoped, that when Christians are trained, when they understand the word of God, when the politicians manipulate, they say, no, we belong to the tribe of Christ. I may be a Huta, I may be a Tuta, I may be a Dinka or a Nuer, but my loyalty is to Christ, not my tribe anymore. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. And that's so good to hear, to see Christ using the work of alarm to strengthen the church and the Amen. community members. Um, that's incredible. Amen. So what are some of the challenges that you faced as a ministry? Mm. Because I'm sure that there are challenges. And how can we as listeners be praying for alarm? And how can we support you through these challenges? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the first challenge uh, when you begin to talk about the truth, definitely you step on people's toes. So uh, the first challenge we face, actually our staff have been uh, uh, threatened. Uh, people have called our staff, we come to kill you. Wow. Uh, because uh, our staff have trained lawyers and judges who then point fingers to their colleagues who are corrupt. Mm. Our staff have preached the truth and people have said we are destroying their, you know, we are, one of the leaders said, we are destroying their bread, you know. Mm. And uh, our staff, uh, on our staff we have theologians uh, who deal with theology, pastors, then we have lawyers who deal with peace, just reconciliation. Sometimes we have taken co cases uh, that uh, people are afraid of because corruption in our government. And so our staff have been threatened. Uh, and so we have those challenges that when we begin to uh, live the biblical truth, then you become a target of the corruption. The second challenge is we want to do more, but uh, financials. Most of our staff, as I said, we have uh, about 80 full-time staff in eight countries. We raise support from Dallas. That's why I have the U.S. office to raise support, support them. They are full-time. Mm -hmm. And also the programs we do, even the training of the pastors, we provide scholarship because some of them cannot um, you know, afford. And so sometimes we want to do more. The pastors need more training. But the challenge we have is we have limited resources. So financial resources is uh, another challenge uh, that we have more opportunities than resources we have. So really we would like to you to, 
to pray over this. And uh, then uh, again, we are in the countries where they are still dealing with the the um, corruption, the tribalism, the church need to grow more. And so we are really trying to change. We are working with the some of the uh, government actually to move from the punitive justice to start working on restorative justice. That's why we're training lawyers, judges, to begin to mediate rather than take people to court because most of our cases. So we are really trying to get the church to be involved in just not dealing with the, the, the you know, the, the smoke. Mm. So how can the church begin to, to really deal with the, the policies to change the structural evil? And so that's another challenge. How do you change the structural evil? Because sometimes we charge, we, we respond to the smoke, but we need to find wh where the fire, what's causing this fire. And, and so it's like the example of this person uh, who gives the example of, you know, seeing, you know, people down the street, you know, uh, drowned, uh, flowing on the river. And they were just trying to save people, but they would be dead. And then some would say, we need to, to go to see where they are falling in the river. So they end up, they find where people are throwing people in the river. So they stop there. And sometimes we need to go where is the major problem. And so as we respond to these challenges, we are training more pastors. That's why training more Christian uh, lawyers, judges, law enforcement to be the, 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 the foundation for these changes. And so uh, praying for us that uh, God will continue to give us wisdom because, uh, as I mentioned, some of these issues are delicate uh, because you are dealing with historical hatred. Uh, I have been... Uh, tortured three times. I have been uh, in a jail a couple of times, not because I stole anybody's chicken, just because I preached the truth. And uh, so pray that God will give us wisdom, uh, that uh, we have wisdom and courage uh, to speak the, the biblical truth, not the truth of the tribe or the, or the party or anything, but that God will give the wisdom how to speak the truth in love. And that's the, the, the balance. And then the church in Africa, that the church will begin actually to see herself as the uh, hope and the source of healing for our brokenness. And, and so if we would pray that the Christian community in Africa would say that the future of our African nations is not in our government, it's not in our politicians, but the future and the healing for our nation is really when Christians live out their Christian faith uh, as the Bible says. So those are really things that I'd uh, like you to pray for us and, and pray that most some of you will come to come, like Travis, and you come and the others that come so that we can be this uh, believer community of Christians wherever so that we can encourage, we can learn from one another, but also we can uh, strengthen one another because uh, the, I believe that the African church the American church will be stronger when they begin to exchange, when they begin to learn from one another. Uh, and we will teach one another, we will help each other to grow, to be more like Christ when we interact and when we serve one another. Thank Amen. you. Celestian, thank you for uh, teaching us and spending some time sharing uh, what the Lord's taught you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share with your audience. And thank you for inviting me to this table. Thanks so much for listening to the second half of our interview with Celestin. As we approach the month of October, be sure to tune in next time as we sit down with Mike Duran, the author of Christian Horror. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and subscribe. For Baylife Church, I'm Mickey, and this is The Stone Table.